smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. Smashing. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about Redwood JS. What exactly does it mean to be a full stack Jamstack framework? We talked to community champion Anthony Campolo to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes a brand new article to the website five days a week? That's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. Introduction to running Lighthouse programmatically, Katie Bowman takes a look at some of the advantages that running Google's Lighthouse Analysis Suite programmatically can bring to larger and more complex web applications. Using Lighthouse programmatically allows engineers to set up quality monitoring for sites that need more customization than straightforward applications allow. Katie gives a brief introduction to Lighthouse, discusses the advantages of running it programmatically, and walks us through some basic configuration. Blessing Crofia helps us create more engaging interfaces in animating React components with Greensock. The Greensock animation platform is a set of JavaScript functions that let you tween a value, attribute, or CSS property over time and insert these tweens into a timeline, allowing for more complex animations. In this article, Blessing explains how Greensock plays well with the React library by integrating its functions into a React component and building an example landing page with a variety of animations. In Designing for Attention, Victor Yoko covers specific tactics with supporting research that are bound to help you design for attention. He also discusses the need to understand why we want to gain the user's attention, as well as what our user's needs are. In Advanced GraphQL Usage in Gatsby Websites, Ali Misiaka explains what GraphQL query constructs are and how they can be used to interact with the data access layer of a Gatsby website. Aleem takes a look at some of the advanced use cases of GraphQL within a Gatsby website by using matching data from different sources. And Adebayi Adioden looks at how to integrate different CSS in JS methods in comparing styling methods in Next.js. Tools like Next have a simple goal of abstracting away commonly redundant tasks when writing a React app. While this is usually a good thing, it does require you learn and understand the different ways to use that abstraction. Using CSS with Next is one such case, and this tutorial covers all your options. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. He's a Lambda School student studying full-stack web development, as well as being a contributor to Redwood JS. Something of a community champion, he's recently written a 12-part article series called A First Look at Redwood JS that helps to explain the origins and motivations of Redwood, along with many of the different concepts that the framework introduces. So we know he's an expert at Redwood JS, but did you know he's never seen a dog? My smashing friends, please welcome Anthony Campolo. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Hello, I'm smashing. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to talk to you today, and it's probably obvious from the introduction, uh, about Redwood JS. Um, for those who haven't heard of, of Redwood JS before, at a high level, what is it? 
Um, I think there's a couple ways you can describe it, kind of depending on where people are coming from. But the kind of canonical definition is it's a uh, full stack serverless framework for the Jamstack. So it combines full stack web development with serverless like AWS Lambda type stuff and the Jamstack, which is, you know, a big thing these days. So it, it's a, a full stack framework that tries to sort of put in, put together lots of the ideas around a, a Jamstack sort of development ecosystem. Is that right? Yeah, it's pushing the boundaries of what a Jamstack application can be. So by calling it full stack Jamstack, it's about how do we go beyond just the front end to having the same sort of like deployment paradigm of just get push, getting your whole code deployed. How do we get that, but also with our back end and have it all connected? Now, before we delve sort of too deeply into it, it, I think it's quite interesting to hear that it's from quite a seasoned team, isn't it? The, the people behind Redwood, uh, they're not um, spring chickens. Well, not to say they're old, but they've, they've been around the block, haven't they, in terms of web development? They're seasoned. <laughs> yeah, I've actually put a decent amount of time into writing about the, the history of the framework and the ideas that have kind of led to it. And um, Tom Preston Warner is the creator, and so he's also known as the creator of Jekyll, uh, which is a really influential static site generator. Um, he also uh, did Toml, like the configuration file language, and um, he was the CEO of GitHub originally. So his work with Jekyll and like GitHub pages and that sort of thing, I think, has really led to what we now think of as the Jamstack. A lot of people would say, oh, the Jamstack's not new. They've been doing this forever. And uh, that's kind of what they're talking about, how it's, it's an extension of these older ideas of stack site generations, but with like GraphQL and serverless and these ideas of how to use glue code and APIs to make your app work. So this is definitely from people who are very embedded in that community. I mean, the, the CEO of GitHub, you know, you really don't get more embedded in the, in the sort of open source community than, uh, than that. Um, so Redwood, uh, is a, a full stack framework. And that I guess that means you've got Redwood code running in the front end and in the back end. Is that right? Yeah, this is the first thing I like to explain to people when I'm showing them a Redwood project is that it's a mono repo. So you have your front end and your back end in the same repo. And then each of those kind of live in their own folders. So you have a web folder, which is your front end. And it's fairly similar to like what you get from a Create React app. And then you have uh, API folder, which is your back end. And this is where all of your functions get essentially shoved into one big GraphQL handler that gets deployed to AWS Lambda through Netlify. Okay, so starting at the front, as you mentioned, it's, it's based around React. Mm -hmm. um, so is that React plus a bunch of Redwood code, or is it just plain React? Or how, what's the balance there? So it's, it's a lot of things. It's definitely just React in the sense of you're not bringing in a lot of like state management libraries. You're not even bringing in a router, actually. They have their own router that they wrote, and they use a lot of kind of GraphQL stuff. So when people talk about like React and GraphQL and friends, that's a bit of what's, of what's going on here is that it gives you a lot of default integrations to get React talking to your GraphQL because we have a lot of conventions now over how to use React, but the data fetching is still a, a huge hassle. So it's kind of React configured with a bunch of other tools that work nicely with React to give you a, a functioning ecosystem for doing this particular style of task. Is that a, a fair 
uh, description? Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's definitely the way Tom has put it is that there's all these best of breed solutions that exist in really sophisticated tools and technology we can use, but it's really hard to actually leverage them because you have such a huge startup cost of having to learn them, having to figure out how to integrate them. And so they, they said the tagline is like, we do our web, we do your webpack config for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a common pain point that you hear from uh, lots of people when they're trying to get started in the, in the modern sort of uh, development framework with, um, with client-side JavaScript apps and, uh, you know, configuring Webpack, configuring all the different things, the build processes, the build steps. Um, it can be quite a minefield, can't it, to get everything hooked together and working. And it's it's a long way before you get to Hello World. And so Redwood is giving us all that sort of pre-configured. Yeah, it's very much a convention over configuration type idea because you have Tom was like he built GitHub with Ruby on Rails. And um, Rob, one of the other core contributors, he's been a Rails developer forever. So they have a lot of ideas that philosophically they align with in terms of Rails, but they want to take those convention over configuration ideas, the, the full stack framework ideas, and implement that with all the modern technology we have now. So you mentioned that Redwood gives you a, uh, a router or a router, as we say over on this side of the pond. It Does it come with things like default components and uh, any of that sort of stuff in react or, or are you just then to implement all that yourself yeah the router is it's very sophisticated it does most of the stuff that you would get just from react router it's has just kind of different ideas in terms of how these should be implemented because next they also have their own router and it's there's still kind of not really entirely figure out how we want to get our you know single page app routing to work and because of suspense, you have a lot of these kind of questions over, well, where's the async stuff going to come in? And so we have kind of with Redwood, um, this idea of a cell, and this is what really does your, your data fetching for you. Okay. So maybe we could go into that a little bit. What, what is a cell in terms of uh, Redwood? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a cell is um, a default way to write a GraphQL query and then have your page basically tell whether you're getting the data back, whether you're getting an error back, whether you're in a loading state or whether uh, there's a four state, I forget. <laughs> but yeah, there's, um, so it gives you the, the different states that basically you can be in based on whether you are getting your, your data or not. And it's set up with Apollo kind of under the covers. So if you're using Redwood, you're using Apollo as your GraphQL client, but you don't ever have to think about it. You you never have to actually write any Apollo or, or even think about it. It's kind of all baked in. So it lets you just write GraphQL queries, which was really the, the dream of why people wanted GraphQL is that it was like this really simple query language that front-end devs could use. But then you had to figure out how to set up a GraphQL server. You had to figure out, am I using like Hasura? And am I using, you know, all this other stuff? And how do you get that all wired up? So it does all of the GraphQL integration kind of for you. So you can just write GraphQL. You don't have to think about how do I even implement GraphQL? So I guess one of the, the classic jobs of a, of a framework is to take all the boilerplate code that you could write yourself and uh, implement it for you and, and sort of tidy it away behind the scenes so you never have to look at that boilerplate ever again. And you can just write the, the, the code that's unique to your circumstance. I, I guess that's what's going on with a cell is it is there's nothing revolutionary here it's it's something that you could set up a react component to have all these different states uh and to, you could hook in apollo and you could you know do all this 
yourself, but that's actually quite a lot of work and it's a common pattern. So um, Redwood has, has tidied it up into a, a nice reusable pattern that you can just start using without having to think about it. Is that a, a good description? Yeah, they, they came up with the name, but they definitely acknowledged that this was a practice they saw frequently and that they saw a lot of people just coding up themselves. And they decided that they wanted a declarative way to do your data fetching. So that's why you have this setup because it lets you just have your different dates and you don't have to do kind of if then logic to figure out I need to do this if this happens. And so it's um it's about just having a single way to declare all the different states your, your data could be in as you're loading it. It's one of the characteristics of React, isn't it? That um, they, React doesn't try and give you an architecture for your project um, unless you decide how you're going to structure things. And uh, that, of course, has pros and cons. Um, but it seems like Redwood is imposing some of that structure for you so that you don't have to think about it and so that it can put the plumbing in for you and and sort of pick up where React left off in terms of, of giving you that sort of structure. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that we've seen multiple different attempts at this solution to this problem. Because, I mean, you've had people who've been saying forever, like, why isn't there a Rails for JavaScript or a Rails for React? There's um, a great full-stack radio interview between uh, Michael Chan and Adam Wadden kind of called React is not a Rails competitor. And so this is one of the different frameworks. The other one, there's Blitz.js, which has gotten a decent amount of buzz. And then Bison is kind of a new up-and-coming one. And they all have like a similar stack, but they use different pieces. Like you'll have uh, React Query instead of Apollo, or you'll have like Chakra instead of Tailwind. So there's there's people who are putting together all these pieces into their own stacks, and all these stacks are kind of like, they're battling it out where it's all very friendly competition. And actually, that's one thing that I really appreciate is that we actually all collaborate between the frameworks as well. There's you know no animosity there. So we've mentioned uh, Apollo and GraphQL. Uh, Red, Redwood uses GraphQL quite heavily. It's one of the sort of core pieces, isn't it, of the of the framework? Um, and we could we we could probably dedicate an entire podcast episode to just GraphQL. But for those who aren't familiar, you know, what piece is GraphQL doing here? What problem is it solving in this context? Yeah, this is this is a great question. And when I am telling people kind of what they should know to have a good start with with Redwood, I'd say that you should have used Create React App. Like just if you've made a Create React App and you've deployed it to Netlify or Vercel, like that, that'll get you a good start. And then know at least a little bit of, of GraphQL because it is, it's very essential. So the GraphQL is how your front end will talk to your back end. So they say it's a query language for APIs. The idea being that it's meant to be an alternative to RESTful APIs, which have your get, post, put kind of methods. And that instead of, doing that RESTful thing, you are sending queries which specify exactly the hierarchical data structure you want to receive back from the database. And so it requires a little more startup time to get your GraphQL server to talk to the two pieces. But then once you have it there, the front-end developers have the ability to get data in a much more flexible way. You don't need all these different API endpoints that your backend guys need to keep making. And so if, if there are changes in requirements in the front end, presumably you can then just tweak your GraphQL query and, and you don't need the help of somebody who works on the backend to make that change for you? I mean, the real dream is you could throw on a mobile client to it, that it's it would be that flexible ultimately, that it becomes, you can have multiple clients all talking to your one 
API, your GraphQL API becomes your, your source of truth. And that's where kind of all your, your logic is, is centralized. And then you can build all these different view layers on top. So we've got um, GraphQL there giving us the ability to query some sort of backend. In, in Redwood, what, what is the backend? Yeah. Um, so t- the, there's a couple different ways to, to create your backend. There's the way you'll get out of the box with the tutorials which is you use uh, Postgres database deployed on Heroku, super easy, super simple. And then your Redwood app talks to it with Prisma. And so I don't know if you're familiar at all with, with Prisma, but it's um, kind of like an ORM. They, they specifically say it's not an ORM. It's a query builder, which is like a little more lower level. But for, for the sake of just like explaining it to people, it's Prisma is the thing that like lets you talk to your database. It does your migrations and, you know, sets up your tables. It does like all the kind of SQL stuff so you don't have to write SQL. So to me, that, that sounds like an ORM. And you don't necessarily need to use Prisma though to use Redwood. I actually built a kind of just proof of concept app where we used FaunaDB instead. And FaunaDB, they have their own GraphQL API. So you can just send GraphQL API straight to Fauna and then do your, your database mutations that way. So it's, you lose a lot of the functionality of Prisma's CLI, but um, Prisma is really it's, it's like a convenience factor to work really easily with your relational database. But there's really you could, anything you could think of, you could figure out how to hook it up with, with Redwood is, is what I found out just because like it's built around GraphQL. And the whole point is to be able to talk to all these different pieces. So is uh, Prisma is essentially uh, a sort of ab- abstraction layer between um, your code and whatever data store that you're using that presumably that Prisma supports? Is that, or is it doing more intelligent things than, than that? Yeah, so you, you write a schema. So you create like a schema.prisma file and it would have like model post and then it would have ID and um, integer and auto increment, like title, string, body string created at date time. And so you create your, basically like what you want to be in your database with, with the types and then it does the database stuff for you so you don't have to interact with the database. So you kind of use Prisma to define, I guess, what sort of database or what sort of data store that you're talking to. And then in there, you lay out your different MVC models to, to sort of use that parlance. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then when your, your application is talking to the data store, it's kind of using an instance of a Prisma client, is it? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. So in your backend API folder, you have a, a lib folder with a db.js. And just by default, that has your Prisma client set up. So that's all the stuff you get kind of out of the box. And like you said, uh, Prisma can work with different databases. So it can switch between SQLite for, develop, for development and then uh, Postgres for production, that kind of thing. It's mostly relational ones right now, but the roadmap has things like Mongo and Fauna on it. So that's quite uh, that's quite useful then if you can um, set up and use SQLite for in your sort of local development environment as you're as you're getting things up and running, and then go into production with something like MySQL. Yeah, and that's exactly how the tutorial is set up. That's the the workflow it kind of shows you. It's quite interesting, isn't it, to see um, a a sort of very modern approach to a framework, then falling back on some of these more traditional databases like mysql uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with mysql and i love it for its its stability and i love the relational way of storing data i think it, it works so well for so many things um it's uh, often you see the the baby sort of thrown out with the bathwater when it comes to 
the sort of newer types of data store. So it's quite interesting to see uh, Redwood um, by by default supporting these these good old relational databases. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a good point because I say that for all like the new stuff Redwood kind of combines together, there's some things that actually says the, the old tried and true way is actually the best. So they are really big on relational databases. And that comes from, you know, Tom's experience with using, you know, Rails and having a relational backend and active uh, active record was the the kind of ORM layer that Prisma is meant to kind of approximate. I guess we're, we're talking about a, a serverless sort of architecture here with, with Redwood. And, and we talked to Chris Coyer, I think two or three episodes back, all about serverless um, using APIs and, and cloud functions and things. So taking a step back, if you were to think in terms of a, a server-based framework, like we, you know, we mentioned Ruby on Rails or something like Laravel in the PHP world, uh, even with a, a React front-end, your API requests would be running code that is Rails code or Laravel code, plus then your user code and, and configuration. Is that the same with Redwood? Is there actual Redwood server code that that runs, or is it just more tools and structure and, and glue that enables you to implement your own? Yeah, so in the back end, there's uh, a file specifically that is a way to take your your SDL, so you have your schema definition, schema definition language, and then you have um, what are called your services, which are kind of like your your methods for, for talking to your backend. And then all of this gets stitched together into a GraphQL handler that is deployed to a single Lambda function. So it's optimized for uh, Lambda specifically. Uh, we actually just recently had someone do it with the, the serverless framework, and we've got some people working on Azure and Google, Google Cloud cloud something it's not google cloud function it's the the one built on top of that <laughs> but um yeah so it's right now basically optimized for deploying your back end as a graphql function in an aws lambda and uh, this is the stuff that's like it's all magic kind of happening in in the code base i don't understand but that's like the high level you know explanation so there are deployment tools, are there, that take all the code that you've written, um, squash it all together into some sort of magic ball of, of code that can be executed in the cloud and, and puts it up onto AWS, or do you still have to manage that bit of the process yourself? Yeah, so it's all done through through Netlify, if you, if you follow along with the tutorial. So you don't really have to mess with any sort of serverless functions yourself. And the stuff that wires your backend together to shove it into the AWS Lambda, that's all handled and like you don't have to touch any of that code that's kind of all generated out of the box as your conventions over your configuration so you don't really have to think too much about how to make it serverless it's, it's serverless by default and that's a it's a really hard thing to kind of wrap wrap your head around it took a while for me to wrap my head around it yeah because uh, it's an important point isn't it because there are actually uh, now quite a few different areas where we're keeping track of here we've got i think three different areas we've got our, our front-end react app uh that's running in the browser um, and then we've got uh, an API that is uh, GraphQL-based running as, as a cloud function, um, and, and that's responding to our queries. But that's then interacting with a data store, which uses Prisma, um, and that data store is what and where in this? Because it, it, uh, you, can't, you can't run a, a MySQL server on Netlify, can you? Yes, that's where Heroku comes in. So in the very last part of the tutorial, you deploy your front end to Netlify, and then you deploy your back end to Heroku Postgres, and you just grab your config variables from Heroku, plug it into to Netlify. So getting 
your Netlify front to talk to your Heroku Postgres backend is a really, really simple thing. So they, they wanted to go with the thing that was going to be the easiest for anyone to get spun up, but still have like good, stable, battle-tested kind of tech. So um, it's like at the end, what you get out of the box just by following the instructions is like really incredible. Jamstack enthusiasts will be familiar um, with services like FaunaDB that you mentioned that you know provides a, a data store as an API. Um, AWS has DynamoDB, Google's got Cloud SQL, and so on. Um, so you mentioned that Redwood is looking at integrating, or I guess Prisma is is the is the part is the component here that's that's looking at integrating with those sorts of services further down the line. Yeah, this is a good question. This is something I'm actually talking with um, Ryan Chenke at at Prisma about, kind of helping out with is like what is the the kind of database story for for redwood for things that don't necessarily work with prisma like would it be better to figure out a way to get redwood to work with it directly like i did with fauna or would it make more sense to implement a driver for prisma so there's different ways to approach it and there's obviously a million different databases now that that everyone wants to use so it's kind of um how motivated are you to get your data store onto it <laughs> and uh, there's a, a lot of you know, kind of community contributions going in there. So because Prisma understands your models and it knows how to query them, is it able to generate some sort of migrations or, or things like that to help you get that database set up? That's exactly the thing that you lose out when you have to take Prisma out and get your database, that you lose all the, the migration functions. So yeah, it has a, a really advanced CLI that, that does a ton of stuff for you. So you can go through the whole Redwood tutorial and enter the Prisma commands and you don't have to have any idea what it's doing it just kind of kind of works and um it's it's a really great tool for doing all that kind of like database type stuff that you want to make sure you get right you want to make sure it's like done correctly it seems like having uh, a really good sort of tooling around uh, frameworks is uh, a, a quite a modern um uh, sort of trend isn't it to to not just say here's all the things that this framework can do but so you know here's some perhaps some cli tools that are going to do a whole bunch of it for you. Uh, does does Redwood have tools for things like CLI generators and stuff to get you up and running quickly? Oh yeah, this is probably like the biggest like key feature that that you get from Redwood is you get a whole set of very sophisticated generators. So um, for anyone who's ever seen like the original like Ruby on Rails demo that um, DHH gives, like he built he builds a blog in like fifteen minutes and he he does it all with with Rails and people are like, whoa, this is amazing. And that's kind of the effect like Redwood is going with. They want you to be able to get everything spun up really quickly. So you can generate pages, you can generate layouts, you can generate like your cells, which I was talking about. You can do a, a scaffold command that is going to create your entire CRUD interface. And um, I have a whole section, part four of the blog series, just explains all the code that the scaffold gives you. It, it gives you so much code. And um, there's an off generator there's even a tailwind generator that like configures your, your tailwind for you that's amazing i, re I remember seeing dhs dhh's uh demo of of rails i mean it was probably what 15 years ago now when he um when he sort of first did that scaffolding and showed you and you get you know a, a fairly rudimentary but functional control panel essentially to to enable you to create create new items edit them delete them uh, etc um, and that can be invaluable in a project especially if working in a sort of dynamic environment where okay maybe you're going to implement better tools in the future for uh, editing that content but it means being able to spin something up quickly you can get test data in or you can even hand that over to, to a content team who could start working whilst you're working on the front end 
Um, so that's uh, really useful. But if you wanted to just deploy that and and have that in production, presumably you can just deploy it along with your front-end code, but you'd need some way to secure that aspect, those roots in your application? Yeah, there's a couple of different um, options for authentication. You can use um, Netlify Identity. That's the default if you go through the tutorial. And then you can also use Auth0. And then one I'm not familiar with called Magic Link. And um, there'll probably be a couple extra ones added in, in the future. But um, yeah, so there's a couple built-in solutions there for you already. And um, that's the very last thing you do. So that's, that's the very last part of my whole 12-part blog series is the, is the Auth one. And um, like I've, I don't think I'd ever figured out Auth before <laughs> I had used Redwood. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's hard. And um, they, they definitely have done a good job with it. And does that integrate at, at, a, at a root level or a route level? Sorry. <laughs> or uh, how does how do you secure things? Yeah. So part of how they have their own router, they also have, you can do private routes. So they have a, a private route component. And then your actual like login form, that's what you get from Netlify Identity. So you don't have to actually create your form and do your state management with that. Like that is where a lot of problems come into play. So um just ha- like kind of taking away the the really key parts, and then you could just kind of implement like role based access. We have um, role based access control add on that was kind of been done over like the last couple of weeks by um, David T. So um, there's a, a lot of work also kind of happening to create other ways to to do it. But what they got now is already like it, it works. You know, it'll get you get you functional. People always say about. Um... Uh, security uh, algorithms, hashing, cryptography—that you should never write your own because it's never going to be as good as the as the things that are out there. Increasingly, I, I think that's also true of authentication. You know, at, at, a, at a higher level, that authentication is such a, a complex area these days where people want to not just you know log into your site with with unique um, credentials, but they might want to authenticate using Google or they might want to authenticate using uh, an Apple device, or um, they might want two-factor authentication, and they, you know, or they might want to integrate it with their single sign-on service that they're using from an enterprise. And all these things are such a, a headache if you try and implement it yourself. And so much opportunity for getting something wrong and exposing uh, security holes in, in your application. That using a, an authentication service seems like a almost like a no-brainer at this point to me. So just being able to drop something in with a, a few lines of, essentially a few lines of code and be up and running um, sounds like a, a really um, productive way to work and, and to keep things secure. Um, it sounds like the the deploying both the front end and the the server the server aspects the the serverless functions things is a, a natural fit for deploying to Netlify. Um, are you, are you sort of tied into that with Redwood? I mean, we, we mentioned that Tom Preston Werner is one of the main proponents of this uh, framework. He's also on the board at Netlify. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's potential for too tight a coupling there if you were to choose Redwood for as the basis for a project? Yeah, this is something that Tom's definitely conscious of. He's he's invested in a, in a lot of companies that float around. He invested in Prisma and Fauna, and um, he's just trying to. He wants to just make the tools he he wants to use. So. It's not about like we want to lock you into this thing. It's so much as like what Netlify has built. He thinks is the best option, so that's why they they built around it. But they don't want it to be locked into to any one deployed target, and that's why we have work being done on things like the serverless framework. And you know, some people have talked about Begin. So there's um we want this to 
it we want it to be pragmatic like we want it to work for whatever someone's use case is so it's like we get you 90% of the way, and then you just have to wire up the last couple of things to get to work with whoever your service of choice is. I guess um, even, you know, Netlify is using AWS Lambda for the, the serverless functions. Um, so it's really the deploy part that's that's taken care of by Redwood there. And actually, you could you could deploy that to, to um, Lambda yourself. And hosting your front end is just files, isn't it? It's CDN-based, um, the rest of it. So there is quite a lot of flexibility there without being uh, too tied in. Yeah, there's actually a term that um, Tom talks a lot as like the kind of core philosophical idea behind Redwood, which is that we want to get to a universal deployment machine. That's kind of the idea is that you can just deploy things and you don't have to think about it at all. And like he's he's been talking about this idea like for years and years and years. And this is kind of what you know Jekyll was even about back in the day. But um, when you hear that now, you're like, oh, you mean like Netlify? <laughs> That's like basically what Netlify is to most people who are working on the front end. It's Literally, they don't even think about deploying anymore. It's it's not even a thought. Yeah, here's here's my application in a in a Git repo. This directory is the front end. This directory is the back end. This here's my database, and that's about as much configuration as perhaps you would need for them, whatever service to take it and and to 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 build it and host it. As. Yeah, and uh, one thing I should also um, point out: we just very recently got um, a Vercel um, Redwood default deploy setup. So like when you're deploying on a service like that, you can say like, oh, I have a Gatsby app and it knows exactly how to build a Gatsby app versus, you know, a, a Next app. So uh, we have that for Vercel now. So there are like really, really good non-Netlify options as well if you're if you're more into that. Um, so if I wanted to get started and build an app and take it into production like this week, is Redwood ready for that? Is it is it mature? Yeah, we've got about a half dozen apps in that are in production right now. The first one was called Predict COVID, which came out back in March. And uh, was like a real-time data visualization application. And then we've got uh, repeater.dev is done by Rob. It's like a kind of a cron job-like thing for, for Jamstack. And then there's um, tape.sh, um, duo flag, I think is another one. There's, um, yeah, there's, so there's at least a handful. If you go to like the awesome Redwood repo, you can see a list of all of them. And there's, if you go to the community forums, like you can find write-ups of these as well. So people have put these into production and then it kind of like said how, how it went. So far, they've all been successful and no one said, ah, I'm never using this again. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is very new. I guess there's no escaping that, that in, in terms of uh, maturity, Redwood's pre pretty new. It's getting a good following. Well, it's funny. It isn't, it isn't. Um, it was announced in March. At that point, it had been worked on for about a year by by Tom and Peter. So they they had already put a ton of upfront work into this. So it wasn't like oh, I'm going to announce this project like with a, a readme and then like start building it. Uh, by the time they announced it, it wasn't. It's not at 1.0 now, but it's like pretty pretty dang close in terms of what people would expect out of out of 1.0. But um, Tom's very against what he calls hype driven development. So he always errs on the Say it's it's not ready so we don't we say it's not ready for production even though it's in production <laughs> i think one thing that um, people sometimes get burned on uh, using frameworks is that they'll build a, a, a project around the framework and then that framework will very quickly go to an, another major version that has backwards incompatibilities and they're then left with a uh, a big project to update everything onto the new version of the framework is that something that's likely to happen with Redwood? I mean, none of us got a crystal ball, but just with the technologies that are involved and the way it's structured, do you think that's a, a 
big danger or a little danger or yeah it's definitely it's a, a super valid concern and definitely something the team has thought about the cli has an upgrade command so you can basically every time there's a version bump you just do a command and it and it bumps you up the the version and um i've been dealing with this a little bit just because of the the series i wrote i started it when it was on version 11 or 0.11 it's like 0.17 or something now so i've kind of been like slowly iterating on it as it's gone but nothing breaks it's all like you get kind of additive things I'm like oh this is kind of a nice little little touch you got here but it's it's very much set in stone architecturally like redwood as it's structured front to back in it is not going to change at all <laughs> it's it was very well thought out in terms of like what they want architecturally that's why they built it so they could get something that was structured like this thing i guess with modern web development there is a certain point where you're just never going to get away from um being reliant on on dependencies updating themselves and and changing and uh, i mean even using react react goes through uh, as many different changes as anything else so that's exactly why tom invented semantic versioning <laughs> <laughs> i guess for from the the other side of that coin if if redwood did happen to go away which is always something we consider when picking a, a framework you know if if uh, it, development stopped somehow um i guess the impact on a particular app might not be too great because it is just so heavily built on existing other projects around is that well you know some would say that a redwood tree can survive a lot and last for a very long time so that may have been why it's called that is that <laughs> you can just make a site and deploy it and it's not gonna break it's just gonna you know work so yeah no, like maintainability sustainability all that kind of stuff that's that's huge and you know he being built by people who tried to scale rails apps i imagine they've they've thought a lot about that but in terms of like the the going away part um when it, that's always going to be a danger of any any open source project so i think what you have to look for is how enthusiastic is the community to continue it without the team if that ever happens and um i don't think that you even need to worry about that because tom's a billionaire and he has <laughs> like a venture funding thing that is funding some of the development so it it is an open source project that is like well funded actually, and um, it has four full time members: Tom, Rob, David, and and Peter. So um, and you just go to the forums, like you see kind of the the activity that's going on. So um, I wouldn't worry about that that too much of course beyond you know normal open source kind of kind of worries that come along with that stuff yeah and what is the community like you mentioned the community are there lots of people using it and and contributing to the the code base or is it is it mainly the core team who are, do, who are doing the development yeah it's very much structured to be a community thing they want to get as much buy-in from the community as possible and this comes from the lineage like like you said you know there's few people with you know more open source kind of cred than than tom so he's he's done a really great job of bringing people into the fold like i think just my story in general is is a, a big win for the community because i kind of came in as like i'm a i'm a boot camp student like i'm learning all this stuff kind of as i go um, i'm not pushing code to the repo i'm making like you know doc fixes and, and writing blog articles and stuff but they still invited me to like the core contributors meeting because they saw what i was doing and they thought it, it was adding value so um yeah, there's really a lot of things about how they approach uh, community building that I have a lot of respect for. And that is why I've been so invested in it and putting so much of myself into it. Some frameworks uh, have got the sort of natural bent for certain types of projects. Um, for example, the Python framework Django 
came out of online news publishing. And so it's a really good fit if you want to rapidly publish content like you would in a news organization. Does Redwood lean in any particular direction when it comes to the type of projects? Is it suited for content publishing or building web applications? Or It's made to be fairly agnostic to that. It wants to be a tool you can use for, for a lot of stuff. It was first before it was called Redwood. It was called Hammer. The idea being that, you know, you have to do a lot of stuff with a hammer. But um, there definitely is um, a kind of sweet spot, which I think is the, the multi client type applications. So if you know that you ha- you have it, you're starting with a web front end, but you're pretty sure you're going to end up with a with a mobile uh, client as well, then it's a really good fit for that because it starts you off in a way that you're going to be able to extend into having multiple clients with GraphQL, which we kind of talked about a little bit. So I'd say that would probably be the first thing that I would say is like it's sweet spot, but it's meant to work for like as many things as possible. Does Redwood have a sort of published roadmap of, of where it's going? Do you, what could we expect to be coming in the near future? Glad you asked. We just put out a roadmap to 1.0 um, less than a month ago. It was probably like two, two or three weeks ago. And it kind of itemizes things that we're working on, things that and things we think we're kind of close on, things we think we still have a long ways to go on. And um, that kind of helps the community see where, where can I help contribute? And that's, that's one of the things that are really great about is showing like, here are the things that still need to be worked on. And um, they're aiming for 1.0 by the, the end of the year. So we'll, we'll see where we get with that. But that's kind of the trajectory we're, we're currently on. One of the, the beauties of a Jamstack and a sort of serverless approach, I was think, is that it's this idea of, of lots of pieces loosely joined has served us so well in computer science uh, up until this point. Um, it should be really easy to scale up a, a Jamstack and serverless project because you can, you know, add multiple front ends or you could put more resources behind running your functions. Um, and you can scale up a, a sort of big engineering team by having people work on different small pieces. Is there a danger that adopting a framework around all of that, that you might be taking a distributed architecture and creating a tighter binding than you might otherwise have? I mean, could could Redwood become a sort of become the monolith that, that acts as a bottleneck in your engineering efforts? Yeah, this is something I, I think about a lot because as I learned web development, I was taking like, I'm in a boot camp that supposedly is like full stack development, but you learn each piece in isolation. Like we're essentially learning the, the Pern stack, but like we learned React and then we learned, you know, Express. And like, we never talked about how they actually work together. So I do think that there's definitely a danger of not being able to comprehend like your project because of how it, it's all wired up. So what I really liked about Redwood is that it, it just, it made sense. Like, it was a mental model of how to think about my entire app and all the pieces and how they fit together in a way that really made sense to me. But what I was surprised to find doing the Fauna project is that it's much more modular than you would think based on like you talk about, and like you said, it sounds like it's a, a monolith thing, but you can pull, you can rip pieces out and replace them with other pieces and it can still kind of work. So it's made to be 
the a fully integrated solution, but not a solution that is tightly coupled. Just because this is a good way to integrate all these technologies doesn't mean you need to tightly integrate, tightly couple them to, to integrate them well. Yeah, that's um, that sounds a very promising uh, way of of structuring things, and it'll be it's going to be really exciting to see what happens with Redwood as it gets to version one point zero. Is there anything else we should know about it that we haven't talked about? Um, no, I mean I would say if you're interested, just check out the the tutorial on YouTube, the Redwood JS tutorial. They have what they've called tutorial driven development which is kind of a play on readme-driven development, which is another thing Tom coined that you should start with your readme and then create your code to make sense with what your readme was. This is the idea of you create a tutorial and then you write your framework to make the tutorial work. And so that's why it is a really easy way to get spun up with it because it was made to kind of make sense of going through the process of learning it. So they've, they've really thought about how to actually get onboarded into a massive framework with all these different pieces and all this different new tech and it kind of they progressively reveal it to you as you go and and my the series that i wrote is very heavily influenced by it i essentially build the same project but i kind of write my own stuff as i go and reference the docs and um so if you're interested in just like learning redwood start with the, the actual tutorial and then check out my series so i've been learning all about redwood what have you been learning about yeah so i've been learning about CMSs. And I was actually really curious to get your your thoughts on this because I imagine you've been around the block, you know a lot of CMSs. But um, <laughs> obviously, you know, you got your WordPresses, your Drupal. But what's really interesting with something like Redwood is since you have this GraphQL stuff baked in, like the headless CMS is just such a natural fit. So I'm trying to figure out like what are interesting headless CMSs to check out, which ones have GraphQL integration, like which ones have different kind of sweet spots. So if I wanted to pick a CMS to build an re- app with Redwood.js, what would you recommend? That is a good question, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I have an immediate answer. I have looked at lots of different um, uh, uh, CMSs, not not particularly with a view to GraphQL. I've not worked with GraphQL myself yet, um, and so that was not. Oh man, you got you got to join the club, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely getting on board. Um, but yes, I, I've I. I have a requirement at work that may be coming up to to know a bit more about Graph GraphQL. So it's certainly one of the things that I need to be learning. I actually learned GraphQL through through Redwood. Like I didn't really know GraphQL, and I say you should know a little bit before going into it. And like I had a very very tiny tiny basic knowledge, but you can actually kind of learn what like a schema definition language is and that kind of like GraphQL kind of jargon. You'll you'll learn a lot of that stuff. You'll pick it up as you go with Redwood. Yeah, I should uh, I should definitely um, get on board and maybe maybe doing some redwood is the way to do it um perhaps i need to uh, pick up a, a project and and start going with redwood and see see where it takes me yeah at the very least i would say just check it out just because it's it's interesting like I, I find it to be just a really fascinating thought experiment of how how do we do modern web application development differently and you know more coherently <laughs> If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Anthony, you can find him on Twitter at AJCWebDev. His comprehensive series of articles about getting started with Redwood are on the Redwood community site, which we'll link to from the show notes. Of course, you can find all about Redwood and get started at redwoodjs.com. Thanks for joining us today, Anthony. Do you have any parting words? Just if you're interested in any of this stuff, feel free to to reach out. Like My DMs are always open. The community is, is very open in general. I'll be happy to explain or walk through or get you set up with with anything you need to know to get going this is smashing 
And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at Smashing Mag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. Thank you.